Last week on Let's Talk Supply Chain, we had two brand new episodes. One was about ships and I was on the other side of the microphone. That's right. Jonathan, CEO of Verify, was the host of that episode and asked me all the questions about ships and what that means for freight providers and shippers who are moving freight by air and ocean freight. You're not going to want to miss that one. So head over to the website and check it out. We also had episode seven of Blended and we put the issues of diversity and equality under the microscope. What do those words mean? What's the difference? Can you have one without the other? It was such an interesting episode and really quite surprising. I really enjoyed it. I actually enjoyed both of those episodes and I cannot wait for you to check out either one or both. So Blended was episode 194 and Ships was episode 193. Wherever you subscribe to the Let's Talk Supply Chain podcast or over at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash podcast. Let's Talk Supply Chain is not your average supply chain podcast. We feature not just the top of the industry, but also diverse voices from within the community, new innovations, and the disruptors making waves in the industry. Don't listen to the same old, same old. Be sparked by new ideas and fresh perspectives only on Let's Talk Supply Chain. E2Open is an end-to-end supply chain software platform helping the largest companies in the world with the most complex supply chains in the world. They are partnering with their customers on collaboration, visibility, network connectivity, and handling disruptions. And they see that the ultimate value lies in people and meeting their needs. That's why they partner with their customers. If you are looking for an end-to-end supply chain solution, check out e2open.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Let's Talk Supply Chain. We are just a few weeks away from some crazy big announcements that I cannot wait to share with you guys. It's going to take us across the globe. We are going to have brand new episodes with new hosts and so much more. I just, I cannot wait and I'm super excited. And today I'm excited to be joined by a company who believes that when operations, business, and investors run smoother, workers, communities, society, and the environment benefit. It's a truly refreshing approach from an IT software company, but who is it exactly? Well, I'm going to let you know first after our review, and then we're going to go on to the question of the week. So our latest review comes from Tusveta, and she says, the best podcast for supply chain innovation. Let's Talk Supply Chain is hands down one of the best resources you'll ever find on the latest developments in the supply chain industry. Sarah does a fantastic job as a host, helping listeners get to know some of the key players, innovators, investors, corporations in logistics. Thank you so much for that review. I love hearing from all of you. So if you do have a review, please go to Apple Podcasts, rate and review the show, and I'd love to feature you as well on the show. So now to the question of the week. So the question of the week we asked you, would you rather work from home, work from the office, or hybrid? Well, let me tell you. So we did it by emoji. So I want to tell you. So uh, work from home, we had 29. 
work from the office, we had 25 and hybrid, we had three. And then in the comments, Rhonda said, I'm thinking a four day in the office and one day remote option. After hearing the discussion on Thoughts and Coffee with Sarah and Audrey, Cheryl, hybrid of both, two to three days a week at home, two to three days a week in the office with flexibility. When you're working with global teams, your day-to-day job is online anyway, and the technological advances means there is less need to be chained to an office five days a week. Jody said, I would like a hybrid approach, three days in the office and two days working from home. John says, hybrid of both, two days in the office and three days at home. Allison, I love my office. I worked hard to get an office. It's my happy place and reminds me of my progress and success. Plus, the view is hard to beat, and I'm sure she's got a great view over in Melbourne. Sarah Scudder, work from home. I've been working 100% remote for the last eight years. Thank you to everybody who participated. We do ask a question of the week every single Wednesday morning across all of our social media, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. We would love to hear from you. And it's where the community comes together and has some pretty great conversations. So now back to today's podcast and which innovative and forward-thinking company is joining me today? Well, it's Throughput Inc. With Throughput Software, your business benefits from a single source of truth to take accurate data-driven decisions and drive sustainable growth and profitability. Striving to create resilient and unifying supply chains, Throughput's holistic and insight-driven software unlocks operations, agility, and efficiency to meet unpredictable customer demands while creating uninterrupted flow of materials through the supply chain networks. Today, Ali Raza, founder and CEO at Throughput, joins me to chat all about exactly what Throughput does, the importance of visibility, harnessing the power of AI, and the future of effective supply chains. Before I welcome him to the show, let me tell you a little bit about Ali. He is the founding CEO of Throughput, AI, a Palo Alto-based startup that puts global industrial operations on autopilot. He has held academic, corporate, and entrepreneurial leadership roles across eight countries and four industries. In industrial operations, Ali has led onshore, offshore, and war zone logistics day-to-day operations while also managing batch, continuous, and discrete manufacturing activities. His teams have have delivered 1 billion plus of output. Ali holds a BSc and an MSc degrees in chemical biomolecular engineering from the University of Pennsylvania. So welcome to the show, Ali. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having us. I am so excited you could join me today because, you know, I absolutely love what you're doing with Throughput. I obviously learned so much doing research for this episode, and it has me thinking about the world of possibilities out there for creating more effective, efficient supply chains. And it really gives me a great glimpse into the future. So, You've had a pretty amazing career so far. You've held academic, corporate, and entrepreneurial leadership roles across eight countries and four industries. I mean, wow. Can you take us back to the beginning? What has your journey looked like and how and why did you come to found Throughput? 
Yeah, Sarah, I guess, uh, where do we start? Uh, you know, I went to school for chemical engineering, so we spent a lot of time around process bottlenecks just by design and figuring out how things flow. And naturally, the progression was to go either more microscopic or macroscopic, right? Microscopic meaning being in a research lab, which is where I started. Uh, and that's, I think, where I came across the concepts of high throughput. And then when I ended up working in the oil field where you have to go through the different levels of being an operator, a field supervisor, and managing yards, and ultimately countries, um, that's when you start seeing flow at a different perspective. So I think the foundations academically and professionally were there with throughput. Uh, the next step was, of course, how do you bring it into a new era where it's more scalable than uh, being a super task master. So that was pretty much the foundations of throughput, just the academic, professional uh, continuity of work and uh, just thinking about how more stuff can be standardized for operations where we make and move stuff. Right. What were the eight countries in the four industries? You mentioned oil fields, so that's one of them. But what were the others? Yeah. So, I mean, I started, so I went to school for pharmaceutical engineering. as That was my uh, concentration for uh, chemical engineering. So I did work in pharmaceutics. Uh, I was in advertising for a bit. And that's where I got into the startup space and I learned uh, in Philadelphia uh, and then I ended up in oil and gas. And of course, oil and gas has adjacent industries such as steel, manufacturing and so forth. And so I got a pretty comprehensive uh, uh, experience going through all these operations. In terms of countries, um, I've worked in the U.S., right? So in the middle of Arkansas, Louisiana, Texas, Oklahoma, was in Russia for a bit. I lived off the coast of Dubai on a ship for 11 months uh, doing offshore work. Uh, ended wow. up in Saudi Arabia. I uh, did some work in Bahrain and then Pakistan and Yemen. I think that's eight uh, from what I can remember <laughs> of the ones that I can disclose at least. Yes, that is a lot. And it sounds like you've done so many things in your career. And I had to ask because I love to hear, you know, about a, f a founder's journey and what that looks like and, and where you've lived. And I'm sure supply chains and throughput has, has looked very different in not only those countries, but also those industries. So why don't you tell us all about throughput then? What does it do? How does it help its customers? Yeah, absolutely. So throughput was uh, when we started the company, right? We, we thought about the problem that we needed to solve. Um, and one of the things I noticed as a geomarket manager is that when Times are tough, especially when, say, like COVID right now, or say oil and gas. Uh, the first group of, or the first cost line that's impacted are people, right? Because that's the easiest to cut. Um, but at that level, when I was waking up at the time, I had access to pretty much everything as uh, running geomarket field services, right? So I had access to supply chain data, procurement, legal, accounting, people, everything sort of fell under my umbrella. But I realized that there was a lot of data tied to stuff like inventory and logistics, where there was a lot more value to be extracted to improve the operating ratio, right? Yeah. Then going after people and, you know, in third world countries, you really don't impact the bottom line that much anyways, right? So um, that became the foundations of throughput, which is why don't we have technologies today that help us get into the analytics on the operation side um, to make the right decisions and then scale it, right? Because one of the things I realized was that, well, I'm at least four four steps away from being at the C-suite office. And that could take 25 to 30 years before I end up there, right? So how do we do something that's a little bit more scalable where we can take existing data and rinse and repeat as we go from operation to operation where we're fundamentally making and moving stuff? So that was the foundations of throughput. Um, what throughput does 
is we help uh, supply chains improve their material flow. That's it. Uh, what we do is we've started to use, or we've been using AI to do so. There's a lot of a hype around AI, right? But what we figured out was um, you can pretty much treat AI like a thermostat, right? Which is um, in supply chains, we are very reactive to our demand, right? Whether it's pasta sauce or, or toilet paper or yes. whatever it is. And then supply chains, their job is to basically quickly reorient themselves, right? Logistics, operations, production uh, to meet that demand. Uh, very similar to an autopilot on a, on a, say, a Tesla car, where it's looking downstream and saying, I got to be here. And it's looking at all the environmental conditions. It's trying to stay between two lanes, right? We do the same with supply chains because we sit right. on a lot of demand historical data today, uh, which can be used as a set point to uh, reorient the supply chain upstream. So that's really what we do at Throughput. We service the chief operating officers, the VPs of logistics, right? Because ultimately they're in charge of the output and the working capital and the material flow of a company. And uh, we work with a lot of industrial companies more on the first mile and on the middle miles versus the last mile. Hmm. Interesting. And so I guess one question I would have for you is those paper companies that had such an issue with toilet paper during COVID would have been a better off if they had been using throughput. Well, it's interesting, right? So we sit on a lot of global metadata and we saw these trends, right? We saw it happen in Europe before they happened in the U.S. Uh, at a time, we were joking internally that by the time, you know, the, the White House briefing was coming out, we already knew 24 hours in advance what was about to run out and what they were going to announce. So um, we can definitely prepare better by having a more global perspective, right, in terms of where our safety stocks need mm -hmm. to be and what our plan Bs need to be in terms of reorienting the supply chain. So absolutely, uh, you know, we have worked with some of the largest paper manufacturers in the past. Um, I, I actually, one of the first, uh, you know, deployments of LE that we ever did, which is our software, uh, was in a paper manufacturer. But uh, ultimately, nobody could have predicted mm -hmm. this demand, right? All we could have seen is that, okay, if we're seeing this uh, behavior somewhere in the world, it might replicate itself in places where I ended up during COVID, such as Yokohama and, and Sao Paulo and and uh, you know, you, you name the city, we were there during COVID. So. Right. Well, I appreciate that answer because I think, I think it's really important to get a sense of what innovations and solutions are out there, um, that can help with these challenges because these challenges have been very front and center for a lot of people in the last year, right? Because it was all over the news and people are like, how did this happen? And how can we, you know, make sure this doesn't happen again. And it's nice to know that that throughput can be part of that solution. One of the other things that I liked about what you said was that you're use, utilizing data to, to um, take a look at cost savings and making things more efficient rather than taking a look at cutting people. So a lot of people, when they think about AI and machine learning, they think about how they're going to lose their job because of AI and machine learning. But what you're saying is that we're saving jobs by looking at the data and by utilizing AI and machine learning. Yeah, absolutely. So if you think of point-based solutions in AI today, right, which they're automating, say, defect detection analysis, or it's a robot, right? That Those sort of innovations do ultimately automate some of the jobs away, right? But uh, when you think from a holistic perspective, the question becomes, how do you automate the chief operating officer of a company away it's almost impossible, right? But ultimately, there are some basic things that all COs do, which is we're, they evaluate where we're over-ordering, over-producing, over-stocking, over where we have 
resources that should be elsewhere, right? And a lot of that can be done with existing data, right? Um, what uh, people don't realize and businesses don't realize is they're incredibly predictable 99% of the time, right? It's almost like your heart monitor on your watch, right? That data is a reflection of your uh, you know, physical activities for the day. Uh, we believe your historical data, just like that for a business, especially on where you're producing stuff and moving stuff, is a fair indicator of your real capabilities and capacity, right? So even if the demand changes, uh, if there's enough slack, you should be able to adjust to almost anything, right? And have uh, these scenarios played out. Now, no one saw COVID coming, right? But uh, now that we have that signature in the data, what's nice is if an event like that happens again, an AI system will be able to pick it up just by, uh, you know, cross-triangulating uh, different locations where it saw it happen before um, to prepare for it again. So we'll definitely be better prepared. And uh, an AI system has the ability to look at a global level, right? Which is one of the, which has sort of been the challenge for a lot of supply chain mm -hmm. consultants, which is you come in into one factory and you optimize that, right? And then you go to the next distribution center, then you optimize that. But at a global level, as you saw during COVID, warehouses were shutting down, production was shutting down, capacity profiles were changing, right? So in the event of the capacity prof profile changing, um, the constraints and the inventory stockpiles also shift, right? Um, there are believers and from the you know, theory of constraints community that's totally focused around constraints and bottlenecks, right? That there's only one bottleneck in the entire operation. But the only way to find out is to have a global view, right? And that comes down to perspective. For example, if I was still a, a production manager at my yard, I would see a forklift as a bottleneck, right? But if I'm running two countries, I don't right. see that forklift at a, as a bottleneck. I might be seeing a rig crew as a bottleneck, right? So I think it's a matter of perspective. And the more, the higher you go with data and the closer you work with operations, that's really where all the value is, where you can extract a lot of cash out of assets, improving material flow without touching the people, uh, which frankly takes forever to train in some of these industries, right? They're highly technical. Yeah, I really love how you are bringing the stories to light um, and also talking about it in relatable terms. So I absolutely appreciate that. Um, but one of the things that you mentioned without mentioning the buzzword of visibility is visibility, right? And Ellie uses AI-powered intelligence to help businesses gain complete visibility. I want to talk about visibility because when we talk about visibility, it could mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. For example, visibility in logistics sometimes means that you want to know exactly where your product is all the time. And so visibility is a buzzword. It's a key trend right now. You know, a lot of people are talking about it. So what's your definition of visibility? Um, it's something that I've been talking a lot on the show about recently. Why is it so important? And, you know, exactly why does AI play such a key role in visibility for supply chains? Yeah, you know, um, we'll be talking about this further on in a FreightWaves uh, presentation we're doing in a couple of months. But uh, one of the things we realized was that, yes, there's a huge play right now around end to end visibility. And, uh, and it and just the one thing with ocean freight and whatever you forward internationally, there's just periods where it just disappears, right? Where like if you're shipping something from yeah. Houston and it's getting to Sri Lanka or somewhere, um, there's like that that little period where like okay, where did it go? And then boom, it pops up because the papers appear somewhere. Um, what we realized was that you know the the visibility problem has been going on for the last several decades, right? I mean AI has been around since the 1940s, 1950s, right? 
even before that. Um, and mm -hmm. so what we realized was that, okay, everyone's connecting all the data and saying, look, look at the visibility. Now you can see everything. But visibility isn't the same thing as flow. It's not just because you can see everything doesn't mean the containers are going to flow better. Yes, you know we're not to be stocking it, but someone right. has to do something about it. And this is where AI, I believe, has a lot more capabilities, right? I mean, naturally, it has to be 10 times better than a human uh, to be uh, to fully automate out, say, like a, a planner at a canal or something or a train master at, at a yard, right? But um, when we think about visibility, the next question often if when you get into the COO's office, right, not the strategy team's office is like, okay, now that I can see everything, why isn't stuff flowing, right? And that's where it comes down to supply chain and logistics planning, which is, can I create some sort of flow downstream, which is, can marketing figure out how to sell this or figure out the right product mix or service mix to sell to start creating a flow from upstream and pulling it like a string rather than creating all these push systems. So that's how we think about visibility. It is a big buzzword today. Um, I'm guilty of pitching it back in 2016, mm -hmm. right? But once you solve the visibility problem, the next problem is, okay, now that we see everything, make it flow. And if it's not flowing, why did we focus on visibility? Well, two things that you mentioned there. You mentioned string, right? And I think about chain when you say that because it's called supply chain. Um, but then you also talk about collaboration. And, you know, so thank you for talking about marketing because I talk about this all the time on how supply chain really needs to collaborate more internally, whether it's with marketing, whether it's with customer experience, sales, customer service. There's so many um, internal stakeholders that rely on supply chain that we don't necessarily think about or do anything about, right? Yeah. And so I like the fact that you brought in the example around marketing because marketing can put on a sale all they want, but if supply chain can't get the inventory or the inventory already isn't in stock, you know, it's, you've got a pre-order happening and that you're going to have angry customers that potentially aren't going to come back and buy. Yeah, that's exactly what happened with the vaccine situation, right? So the mind planning systems that were using AI were forecasting out that we need 20 million vaccines, right? And then by the end of December, we delivered 2 million vaccines, right? Um, ultimately, it comes back to tying it all together, right? Uh, what people don't realize, and I think it comes from all of this, this data, these data systems being siloed, having different metrics, right? They've created these islands of uh, metric-driven behavior, right, where the manufacturing people are just overly concerned about quality and output and the logistics people are totally con con concerned about on time and full. But um, if you don't have global metrics that are tied to material flow and thus cash flow, which is, you know, how do we deliver stuff to our customers on time and full and get paid in return, then you have the, this situation. Now, what we did with our LE system is we've trained the AI to look at um, the product mix, what actually sold. And it actually evaluates some of the uh, marketing campaigns that marketing, uh, you know, did a couple of years ago, like, you know, they ran 20% discount or offer rewards or something. And now the AI can figure out that if there's stock that's, you know, sitting on a shelf and it needs to clear it out, it'll price it to move it and create this uh, domino or bullwhip effect all the way back to say, okay, it's time to clear out this inventory. So yeah, it, uh, what, one thing people need to realize is that, Back in the day, maybe 30, 40 years ago, supply chain was its own little unit, but now it's a large value chain, which is a supply chain where everyone sits, right? From the sales all the way back to the operations, yeah. to the CEO. So we live in a, in a flatter world now 
right, than than we did before with the hierarchies in place with these big, big industrial companies. Yeah. And it can, like you said, I mean, that's fascinating, triggering a sale without really anybody having to do anything just by understanding what inventory or potentially overstock that you have and it pricing itself uh, to be able to move that inventory. I think that's that's amazing. I love that. Um, while I was doing my research, one of the things that you say about throughput is putting global industrial operations on autopilot. And so I'm guessing that that's one of the examples. Can you elaborate on that? What do you mean by that? And how do your solutions facilitate that concept? Yeah, absolutely. So first clarifications are on autopilot, right? So autopilot in any industry is still... Um, you know, developing and yes, in, in, in airlines and so forth with, with um, airplanes, it's a little bit more sophisticated, but you still need a pilot to run it, right? So um, it's always going to be an augmentation play, um, as I see it until it gets, you know, 10 to 50 times better than the human. But um, it's essentially yeah. that, right? Which is if you can see what the demand is, and you can see that you need to sell something and something is creating a bottleneck and flow on the shelf, um, the system can use the data and price it exactly at the right, you know, a discount price to let it move and even make a little bit of profit to clean up the supply chain, right? To allow for a flow of products that actually get to the end customer rather than all this buildup, right? Um, I was reading an article somewhere where they're talking about how the warehouses are full, but the inventory level, uh, we have low inventory levels because we have too much product mix in some cases. And so because we have the existing right. demand data, right, we can replan the logistics almost on a real-time basis if we're connected. And so that's what, what I mean by autopilot, right, which is um, most businesses ultimately make or move stuff, right? Yes, it gets a little bit more sophisticated at the bench level or at the, in the welding level, but um, if you just make or move stuff, then ultimately there's an output problem, there's a demand problem, and then there's a financial problem, right? If you can tie all three of those together and run it in synchrony, you have an autopilot system, which is what we've been we've actually developed, deployed um, over the last one year in just some customers uh, that are big, big names in the industry. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And one of the things that I want to say to you is congratulations, um, because recently you were named top 10 highly disruptive supply chain startups by the Future of Ports Startup Challenge. And from what we've been talking about so far in this interview, I can totally see how you made the top 10. So congratulations on that. I think that it's really important that we're showcasing in this industry, you know, groundbreaking IoT, AI, autonomous drones, big data, advanced analytics, um, because I think it's really going to redefine the logistics sector, the port sector, and supply chain in general. So congratulations, and tell us a little bit more about that honor. Yeah, thank you. Um, and, you know, one of the things I, th I think we should also emphasize is uh, most people think that the great innovation comes from just the tech world, right? But uh, what's interesting about that future ports challenge where we were recognized uh, recently is that um, it's, you know, it's, it's a real it's a real world problem. Like what we're looking at right now with the uh, container problem in Los Angeles. And I remember being stuck on a ship for six, six days off the coast, coast of Dubai where you could actually see Dubai, but you couldn't come in because there was just the clearance problem, right? right? And uh, and if you think mm -hmm. it's bad with not getting, you know, stuff from China, I mean, it's even worse when you're that person that can't get on shore, right? And the boat shaking. 
but um, it's it's a problem, right? Uh, Suez Canal right now is blocked up. Uh, I was joking yesterday that people should buy more yeah. olive oil right now because we're going to run out probably, but I don't know if that's true or not. But uh, the, the key is that uh, you have to spend – ports have problems, right? I started my career like when I was in Dubai. I was uh, I was the guy giving crane signals and spending nights at the jetty and sh- loading ships and, you know, loading pallets and all the stuff that most engineers don't end up doing. But once you see the problems up front and you see that, hey, technology can help just by using a little bit of data, I think we improved ship mobilization times by 50%, right? We turned it around that much faster than what was expected. And so um, it's just a, it's a very hard industry, right? It's a lot of muscle involved. It's very similar to Canadian oil field, but there's enough data uh, available today to put better processes in place. And people have been doing it, right? It's not that AI and logistics, you know, AI and technology have not been used in these big companies. They have. I think the next wave is, okay, how do you make everyone work together, right? Um, Toyota did this, right? They realized that uh, their entire supply chain has to be really connected and they really have to trust and treat the tier, tier one suppliers well, right? And if your suppliers are doing well, then you're going to do well. You're going to create fantastic quality services and products, and then your customers are going to be happy, right? Which is how they've ensured quality. And so, um, yeah, just coming back to that, I think it was a huge opportunity and it was almost like a a bridging of the gaps, right, between what we now do here in Silicon Valley and then back to my early career where we were actually spending time at the ports uh, taking care of these uh, huge problems, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you bring up a really good point because over the last year, we know that there's been a huge challenge for seafarers, obviously with COVID not being able to come off the ships. Some people have been on those ships for 18 months. And I think that, you know, if AI can help with that, I, I, I think that they need or we all need in this industry to get together and, and provide some help to them. And you know firsthand what that's like. So I can only imagine how you feel or how you know that they're feeling right now um, because it, it really is an industry challenge at the moment. So my next question to you, you kind of alluded to it at the beginning of the interview. Who is your ideal client? I mean, I know you work primarily in manufacturing, automotive and logistics, but is there a certain size business your best place to work with or a company with a particular ethos? Yeah, absolutely. So we work across uh, different industries, right? And um, primarily, like you said, food and logistics was really hot last year, still is, right? Because everyone's staying at home and ordering stuff in plastics containers, glass containers. So we work, do a lot of work on that side. Um, our ideal customer is pretty much someone who went through the same experiences I did, right? Working from an op- operator all the way up to a level where you're running operations, right? For multiple districts. And so we, I tend to get closer to the chief operating officer and the VP of ops or the logistics group, right? Rather than the IT group, primarily because they speak my language. Now, naturally, we're a good hybrid uh, team. We have great AI and, and data architects on our team that allow us to bridge the gap because ultimately you need the blessing of IT to get the data and show them how this can actually transform their businesses. Um, there is definitely a certain size that we do really right. well with. Um, often they're family owned, so they really care about uh, generating cash flow and being efficient, right? There's always the sustainability angle, right? We've shown companies that you can be making the same amount of output by operating 15,000 hours less, right? By just putting the right products at the right place at the right time, right? Think of your electricity bill. Think of all the garbage that's created and waste that's created that doesn't need to be there. So people are big on sustainability, but on the size, 
Um, what we end up going for is companies who are often private equity backed, right, where they are looking to improve uh, the cash flow situation really quickly. And the way it's done today, it's usually around cost cutting and, and trying to drive up sales. But what we what we show is that you don't have to cut back on assets as aggressively or, um, you know, try to get more out of people if you can optimize what you're actually right. selling and uh, let the system predict what to discount. Um, now you have sales marketing, sort of the tip of the spear. And then operations is yeah. not just trying to work itself to death to keep up. It's smarter in terms of where it's producing stuff. And ultimately, you save on things, right? You save on injection molding machines. You save on mm-hmm. trucks and, and Caterpillar equipment and all that type of stuff as well. Because when you have better material flow, you basically unlock hidden capacity, right? What I mean by that is if stuff is moving through something faster, um, versus slower, it's creating less of a buildup, right? And that is essentially what we try to convince yeah. our customers that, look, if you have more inventory turns, it's far better than buying all this extra equipment and just producing more and ordering all sorts of raw materials, right? Um, that's that's really who we serve. Mm-hmm. So these days, as I said, because of COVID, the world's changed. We work a lot in container manufacturing, right? We work a lot in distribution, right? That's sort of the biggest problem right now. Um, but once COVID gets up and running, we hope to be back in some of the other industries we were before that. Amazing. Amazing. And building on top of that, I mean, this is one of my favorite questions to ask a guest, a guest, you know, what is a real life example of how you've helped a customer? What was the challenge that they came to you with? What was the solution that you provided and what was the impact or benefit of that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so as I mentioned, uh, people talk a lot about cost, right? Cost reduction, but we try to convince people to think more in terms of throughput and flow, right? So one of the challenges that we've seen across all sorts of discrete parts manufacturers is um, inventory turns, right? So uh, you name the customer, we go in and the obsession is always around, well, we have to keep our customer service levels at 100% or 95% or 96%, especially in commodity markets where they're really uh, worried that, hey, if I can't provide you, say, uh, I don't know, toothpaste tubes, right? You can always go to the competitor and get toothpaste tubes, right? Um, and so what we what mm-hmm. ends up happening is in the name of 100% service levels, um, companies end up overstocking and overproducing stuff that doesn't really sell and doesn't isn't really required, right? So there's millions of dollars of stuff that doesn't need to be there. What we do is we come in, we, we pull the data, and our system ingests it, right? Uh, and when Ellie, Ellie looks at the demand profile and says, okay, this is what needs to sell at this marketing promotion to start clearing up the supply chain, right? Um, it actually is able to re-optimize the production flow as well. It gets down at the multi-factory level. It comes down to the production floor and says, hey, this is where the product needs to be at this time at this place. And then this is what the lead times need to be, right? It looks at that 99% and it can factor in things like the China container situation. And what that has done for certain customers, it's tripled inventory turns, right? Because they're just, now they're ordering less, but more, but faster. So smaller batches faster, um, which means they're at less risk now during COVID, right? Because you can't have so many dollars tied up in working capital, especially when you're servicing to a bank. A lot of companies today are borrowing from the bank to stay alive. But as interest grows, right, that means you're further away from actually one day fulfilling it and becoming uh, a profitable, uh, self-sustaining company versus something that you have to exit uh, to another another company and get acquired 
um, to, to stay alive and, you know, see another day. So that's just a classic example, right? Um, on the logistics optimization, some companies for every dollar that they're spending with throughput, they've saved three, right? They identify bottlenecks. Um, they realize that stuff ends up in certain locations that shouldn't be there. And when you have, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of SKUs, there's no way any purchaser or buyer is keeping up with all a million accounts, right? I mean, I try to go through my right. Salesforce accounts and I can't keep up with more than 400 on a day. And then that's it for, for me. Um, imagine right. that, it, I mean, yeah. you would you would need a huge army to just manage a million products, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And those were those were really great examples. I think you touched on on a nerve for a lot of people right now uh, in regards to the backup uh, with China and obviously the ports in L.A. and Long Beach. And so I think if anybody could get some reprieve from that, they're probably looking for that at the moment. So let's talk about the future. Um, I want to ask, you know, what does the future hold for throughput? But I also want to ask you what your predictions are for the next year or so as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I think I've I've always taken um, throughput uh, one day at a time, right? That's the best way way to take it. But I, I'm really excited to be working with an incredible group of uh, you know team members, like you know from marketing, from AI, from supply chain people who've done it before. So there's a lot of experience on the team, as well as there's a lot of hunger with a lot of younger supply chain enthusiasts coming through. So very exciting times to be at, at throughput. What, what I also like is a nice balance with our advisors, right? So our advisors are people who, whose families invented the concept of just-in-time. They were the originals when Eli Goldratt came out with a theory of constraints, right? Um, they come from I2, which is I yeah. still consider the number one supply chain tech company to date that everyone uh, you know, so, sort of uses as, as the bar, right, to measure themselves against. And so we, we have a lot of people who tell us what not to do, which is great, right? Which once you know what not to do, you know what else can be done. So it's exciting times there. So we are yeah. looking forward to continuing servicing our customers who are looking to grow during this time, um, who have resources that are highly technical and they're not looking to cut back on them. That We want, want to show them that there's another way to free up a lot of cash, make a lot of net impact uh, before um, considering other other options, right? And uh, I think for what we saw, I mean, supply. One thing, one thing that I do want to mention is that supply chain is a very traditional industry. So it's not like uh, in the next year we're going to see, uh, you know, a ten x change in behavior or uh, customer service, for example. But um, it's it's right. it's early days of industrial AI, as I see it. It's still very early days of supply chain tech, and if People who are interested in solving holistic problems, right, who like to think uh, globally, whether those are process analysts or chemical engineers, um, this is an industry that is ripe, right, for picking a problem. I mean, the global economy, I think World Economic Forum says it's something like $90 trillion, right? That's us making and moving stuff. Pick a place that you like, find a supply chain problem to solve, and you can make an awesome career uh, in it, right? And so I think the future for just supply chain tech people or just supply chain enthusiasts is really uh, promising, right? This is early days. Um, There's a small community still, right? So almost everyone knows each other and is super helpful. And uh, yeah, I think I went off on a tangent there, but uh, that's where I see supply chain going. No, it's 
It's great. I mean, you've heard it here, folks. It's an exciting time to be in logistics and supply chain. And I absolutely loved what you just said there. I feel like I've had my eyes open to a better way of working just by hearing about what you're doing at Throughput and really what it can do for companies. I can't believe that, you know, Throughput is still technically a startup because what you're doing is incredible. And I cannot wait to see what else is to come for you guys. Thank you so much, Ali, for coming on the show and for joining us today. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks for having us. This episode was produced in collaboration with Border Buddy, the most innovative online customs platform out there. And here is what Graham, the founder of Border Buddy, has to say. More and more companies are looking to expand their reach into global markets, but most don't know where to start or don't have the time to figure it out. Border Buddy sees the struggle and has found a way for you to integrate customs into your e-commerce site, allowing you peace of mind when selling to customers in other countries. Your customers will know exactly how much the costs are to import their order from you to their door in real time. And just imagine what that will do for your business and your sales. Visit us and sign up for 10% off your first clearance at borderbuddy.com slash let's talk supply chain. If you would like to hear more, we have plenty more podcasts for you featuring the best and brightest in the industry. Head over to letstalksupplychain.com forward slash podcast to check out the latest. You can also filter the episodes by the solution that you're looking for. Plus, in the post for this episode, we also have a learn more link. Go and check that out because you're going to be able to join thousands in supply chain talking about challenges, talking about solutions, and being updated on the latest and greatest. So go and check out that link. And remember to come back next week for this month's episode of Woman in Supply Chain, where I'm going to be talking to Madison Mobley from Fair Market. She is heading up their diversity and inclusion efforts. And I can't wait to talk to her about this new role, what it means for her, what it means for the community. Plus, we have some exciting news to share. So come back and find out what that is. If you like our show, there's a few ways to support it. You can follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We now have a club on Clubhouse as well as a page on TikTok. Subscribe to us on YouTube at Let's Talk Supply Chain or subscribe to the newsletter over at letstalksupplychain.com. Visit ships.com and sign up. That's S-H-I-P-Z.com. We are not only an online marketplace to help you find freight forwarders or shippers um, to move your air and ocean freight shipments, we are also now offering it as a white label solution. So that means that you can take the technology that we have built and you can use it as your own environment. Please reach out, go to the website, send us an email, give us a call. Would love to hear from you and talk to you about how ships is going to change how much time you are spending on your air and ocean freight shipments. You can also find some really cool merch and purchase our exclusive supply chain dictionary in our shop at letstalksupplychain.com forward slash shop. And remember, I want to feature you on an upcoming episode. So go to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the show and I will definitely feature you. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening. And remember, ship happens.